Let me find my place. Really good to see you. Happy New Year to everyone. Um, uh, it's hard to believe it's kind of 2022. I trust you've had a restful, peaceful Christmas and New Year. It's two weeks since we were here. Um, Yes, Alva, that's right. <laughs> Amen. Um, since here for Carol's by Candlelight two weeks ago. So it's lovely. It really, truly is lovely to be back together um, this morning. Of course, we're still in Christmas, if you follow the church calendar. <laughs> if, you, if you follow the church calendar, Christmas lasts until what day? Wednesday, the 5th of January, Christmas tide. Um, so that's why we've got uh, lovely chocolates <laughs> at the back, and the Christmas trees are still up. Um, nothing to do with our desire for eating chocolate this morning. Um, through January, we're going to return to this series, Friends with God. Um, we started that in November, October, November time, and we took a break for obviously Advent and Christmas, um, but we're going to journey for the next four weeks again through this series, and the invitation, as Dan said, is, well, really, this series is just little reflections upon stories in the Gospel of John that help us consider this question right at the heart of our faith, which is, can we know God? There's an invitation to friendship with God is the reason why Christ came, Emmanuel, God with us, to show us the way to live, to walk, to be in relationship with uh, the divine. And so as we begin a new year, 2022, and we consider the ways we've been living, the ways we want to live, the choices and changes we might want to make, of course, it's a perfect time to think about and reflect upon that. And we're going to take some time to have a discussion again this morning. We're rolling with our format from the previous number of months. So I'm going to hopefully keep this shorter and we'll move into some discussion groups for 10 minutes or so. And then we'll finally close and climax our time together around the table of bread and wine, which is what we do every week. I would imagine none of you would be here today on the 2nd of January um, blowing the cobwebs off Christmas if faith wasn't important to you in some way. Um, you've made a choice to come and be here, whether you're here in person or online. No matter the condition of your faith today, no matter the strength of it, no matter the condition of it, you're here. It's not what matters. What matters is that you're here. Our faith is never pure. Um, it's never, our walk is never faithful. We follow the pure, the holy, and the faithful one. That is what makes us Christian, that we follow Christ. So whether you find yourself here today full of expectation and hope and that your faith is giving you that, or whether your faith today feels fragile, maybe like a cocktail um, with apathy or doubt, maybe some disappointment, no matter where you are on that spectrum, you're here today and, and that's what, what matters. God's presence is here with us. And so, yeah, as I say, in person, online, or even those that are listening to the podcast, you've made a choice to connect with our gathering this morning, with worship this morning. That suggests that faith is important to you at some level, whether it's obvious or whether it's hidden or whether it's deep. Faith, that longing for relate, connection to God, connection to the divine, a life with God and all its mystery and wonder is important to you. And faith, as we've come to learn here in the years of being part of this community, is not about those beliefs in the right order in our heads. Um, it's not about subscribing to a particular morality. It's not about religious ritual. Um, those are actually kind of important things. But faith, of course, it's not, it's not about that. Um, faith is about this connection with the divine and all those other things support that, support that idea. Our habits showing up here, this is a gift to us today, whether we actually feel it or know it. 
This is a formational praxis that we're here. It's a choice. It continues to connect us to this story that we've given our yes to, this person of Christ. And so at the core of this series in the Gospel of John is a, is a piece of writing, is the gospel record of Christ that points us not just to the, simply the life and the events and the facts of Christ and what he did, but this unveiling of Christ's heart and this ability to get to know Jesus and through Jesus get to know God. In John 15, 15, Jesus says this, I have called you friends. There's something at the very heart of the gospel around friendship with God. We're not slaves. We're not enemies of God. We have been made friends with God. Relationship. Here's a little bit of Christian theology just in a nutshell that um, forms uh, what we think and how we think here at Redeemer that Jesus came to make, this is before we get into today's story, Jesus came to make God known. So Christian theology teaches that God has a face and his face is, his face is Jesus. If we want to know what God is like, we look to Christ. That is what God has always been like. The beauty of God is seen fully in the face of Christ, the life of Christ, the way of Christ, and it's revealed to us by the Spirit. First, or sorry, Second Corinthians 4 says this, for it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we look to Christ, we see God, and we have come to see by the Spirit's revelation that Christ in this way is the way that God is calling us forward. So knowing Christ and looking, peering into the Gospel of John is actually peering into life with God and what God is like. So this morning, we're going to look at the story of the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. I'm not going to read the passage because it's like 55 verses or so. Hopefully you maybe know it, but let me draw a few reflections out on that and then we're going to move into discussion groups. Is that cool? Again, this is so we can get to know the heart of Christ through this story. And there's so much I could say about this, but here in this story we have two sisters, Martha and Mary, and we have their brother, brother Lazarus, and he's sick. And he goes on to die in this story. And this is a family we know from verse 5 of chapter 11 that Jesus is really close to, especially close to. They're living in a town called Bethany, which is near Jerusalem. Um, it's kind of a wealthy part of just outside Jerusalem. Think of it like a commuter town to a city. Bethany to, to Jerusalem is that. It's wealthy. And so you have this family, Mar Martha, Mary, and then their, their brother Lazarus is sick. Interesting aspect of this story is that Christ is not in this at this point. Jesus is actually in a different Bethany. There are two Bethanies, would you believe it? He's up north with his disciples. John the Baptist is baptizing them in the Jordan. And so Jesus is in this another Bethany. The writer John who wrote the gospel says another Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. And so he's actually two days' walk from Bethany near Jerusalem. Um, it's a lovely play in terms of the literature. John is basically saying Jesus is in Bethany, but he's not in Bethany. Um, let's just keep going, yeah. So the message is sent to Jesus two days away. The messenger goes and says to Jesus, Lord, the loved one is ill. The one you love is ill. Speaking of Lazarus. 
And the implication in sending that messenger with that message is, Jesus, come, help us, we need you. Jesus is a friend of this family. And strangely, Jesus is just reluctant to go. He's, he's reluctant to go. He seems kind of positive about the outcome for Lazarus. He kind of knows something or is aware that something's going on. But Lazarus dies from the illness, and Jesus stays in the other Bethany for two more days. So uh, people who can, are good at maths have calculated that um, when Lazarus would have died, essentially. Jesus is two days from Bethany, where Lazarus was, and then he actually begins his journey back two days later, so that's four days in total. And so he calculated all that up to say that Lazarus was dead for four days. And it means that the messenger, by the time the messenger got to Jesus and tells him that Lazarus is sick, by that time, Lazarus would have actually died. So it doesn't matter that Jesus waited another two days. Lazarus had passed. Um, Except it does, because um, in Jewish thought, the soul stays with the person for three days after their death. So the fact that Christ is deliberately showing up on the fourth day is saying something pretty profound. This is Lazarus. He's really dead. His soul has now departed in Jewish thought. That would have been the understanding. Jesus is really dead. He is gone. He is passed away. And after the two days of deliberation, Jesus then decides, let's go. Let's go to Bethany near Jerusalem to see our friends. There's much discussion on the road about what that, what they're going to do when they get there, what that means, all of that. I want to jump forward to just the arrival. Jesus arrives, and you have Martha and Mary, and they greet Jesus, and they worship Christ. They're friends with Christ, but they worship him. There's, a, there's an adoration. They fall at his feet. Uh, Mary refers to him as the Messiah, as the Christ. Um, but they're not shy to tell Jesus, if you'd only came, our brother wouldn't have died. They're not shy to say that. If you only came, our brother would not have died. So there's this cocktail of faith and grief all in the mix. And they're good friends, remember, of Jesus. They express faith in Jesus, as I said, but they're grieving the loss of their brother. This is a fascinating story. Jesus then kind of mentions that Lazarus will rise again. And Martha and Mary, like good Jews, thought that meant in the last days. A bit like the Christian idea that all will rise in the end. They thought that. But Jesus is up to something. He has something else in mind. I just want to read this portion. Hopefully it comes up on the screen from verse 33 onwards that I want to focus in on today. It says this, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, that's the community in in Bethany, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And so Jesus shown up in Bethany. Lazarus is dead. He sees the impact of this. He's grieving with his friends. He's deeply moved to the point of weeping with the sisters. We have to ask, what does this what does this mean? There's a sense in the story that, that Jesus knows something or is about something, that Lazarus is going to rise. He alludes to it, and yet he delays, and he tells his disciples we're going to go two days later, and he 
There's something that Jesus is kind of aware of. And in John, we know that this is the fourth of four really important miracles that kind of point to Jesus as the Messiah. Point to this kingdom that Christ has come to bring. So Jesus knows his mission. He knows what he's about. He knows his purpose. He kind of knows how the story, well, he, he, he would not have known how the story would have played out. He's going to be praying for Lazarus like we would. He's going to be praying for the sick of the dying like we would. But he's aware of his mission as God in the flesh and what he's coming to bring on earth. And yet, with all that in mind, there's a mystery to that. In verse 35, we see Jesus the Christ deeply moved to the point of, of weeping. Weeping with the sisters, weeping with the grieving community. The question, has his confidence gone? Has it faded? Is he thinking maybe Lazarus is not going to rise? He had something in mind, maybe that's gone in this moment. Or is it important for Christ to fully join with his friends in their grief in this moment? To fully be present to them in their grief in this moment before he would ever think about moving or leading them forward into resurrection life or new beginnings? Is it, is it that his confidence is faded, or is it that this reveals something about Christ, that he wants to be with his friends in their grief? In fact, it doesn't just say that he grieved. It says that he's troubled. There's an anger there. But we'll get more to get to that in a moment. He goes on, as we know, in the story to raise Lazarus. He goes and raises Lazarus back to life. He, in fact, he instructs the people there to roll the stone away. So he involves them. That's how it plays out. And although they're reluctant to do so, because this body has been in the grave for four days, they obey Jesus, and Lazarus comes back to life. He walks out of the grave four days after dying, and you could only imagine the emotions, the feelings in the village, in the town, in the family, perhaps jubilant celebrations. But isn't it strange, as I've been saying, that for a moment, perhaps knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus wept. He was moved by their grief. He was troubled. And there's a kind of mystery to all of that. There's these two natures of Christ interlocked there. There's this humanity of Christ, this empathy, this vulnerability this grief, this anger that there's been separation, that there's been loss, that he sees his friends grieving the loss of their brother, and he joins them in their sorrows. And yet there's this divine nature of Christ that has the power, like we've been singing about, to bring healing, to bring life, that there's power in his name. And there's a mix there of these two natures of Christ. And this is not an iffy, deathbed resurrection like was the person this is four days later and so in Christ we have the God man we have the human and the divine Christian theology calls that the hypostatic union if you want to know the technical term there's some the union of Christ Christ's nature as, as man as human and as God as divine and yet Jesus in this moment which I want to draw us all to today he genuinely and he completely enters into the, to the grief and the sorrow in this moment. He's troubled by it. He's angered by death. And yet at the same time, he leads his friends into new beginnings and new life. In fact, he leads the community into new beginnings and into new life at the right time. But he does not deny the pain or the loss. 
but he treats it as holy and sacred and he's deeply moved by it. As Christians, as a pastor, you know, who holds on to the great Christian hope of resurrection, it's so important to be present to the sorrows and to the grief and to the pain, not to deny it, not to deny it, or not to rush on to some great announcements of miracles or resurrections, but to live with the reality of what this life is actually like. And death and illness and sickness, they're real and they've been closer to us than maybe, maybe ever before in the last two years. Five million deaths in the, the pandemic, for an example, the two-year anniversary of that this week. And I know many in this room, many in this community have lost loved ones recently and over the last two years. And of course, many of us have lost, lost loved ones throughout our lives. And we grieve their absence. And so there's a few reflections I want to draw out here. That firstly, the beautiful hope in this story of the raising of Lazarus is that Jesus joins you, if that's you, in your tears. That Christ is present in your grief, in your sorrow, in your pain. He's with you there. He weeps with you. And as we stand at the doorway of a new year in 2022, Christ, he weeps with us. He, he, he is angry at the separation, the death or illness or any kind of loss, not necessarily just literal death, brings to us. He's troubled by it. And he joins us in those moments of pain and loss and is present with us. And his presence is solidarity and it brings comfort to us. And this is what we see in the Lazarus story. And if that's you today, if you're grieving, if you have loss, if there's separation, if there's absence, Christ is with you. And he weeps with you. And he's angry at those situations with you. And yet, we are Christians because we follow Christ in his humanity and as he's revealed as the one who leads into resurrection life. And in this story, we see a miracle. And yet this Christ is unveiled to us in even more beauty because this is the Christ who's not creating the fanfare. This miracle is not tweeted. This is not the miracle worker with the spectacle. This, as Inga Alloway says, Jesus is not a magician or a superman. There's no tweeting, as I said. Like all the miracle signs in John, Jesus involves others. Roll the stone away. Servants fill the pitchers with water. They turn into wine. Disciples feed the 10,000 with the loaves and fishes, and they're fed. It goes, it happens, it's a miracle. It's subtle, it's tremendously powerful. But there's partnership, and there is humility even in the miracle. Christ invites us to participate with him in resurrection. And finally, I want to share this reflection before we move into the discussions that this story teaches us. I believe is about ultimate hope. Is about ultimate hope, which is the good news of the gospel. And it's not found in the story of Lazarus rising from the dead because Lazarus, of course, would have went on to die again. The hope is found in what Christ goes on to do in his mission which is to destroy death through his own death on the cross. He doesn't avoid death. He goes right through it. 
In the Lazarus story in, in verse 33, as I said, Jesus is not only weeping, but the Spirit moves him to anger. He is angry at the death, at the destruction, at the effects of this curse of death that we live with as humans. And it reveals the heart of Christ for his friends in the story, and it reveals the heart of Christ for you today, that he's angry and he weeps over that which brings loss and pain to us. Christ laments that. And during his life on earth, we've, we would have witnessed, if we were with Christ, that he stood beside graves of loved ones and friends. He was not sealed off from the human experience in that way. And here is the final ultimate hope, I suppose, that as human beings, death is our greatest enemy. Let me say it again. Death was our greatest enemy because this was the enemy that Christ took on at the cross. Through his own death, he overcame death into resurrection. Many Christian theology sermons will speak of sin being a problem. Sin is not our biggest problem. Death is our biggest problem, and Christ came to deliver us into life. Sin is simply a part of the ways in which death affects our lives and takes us away from that life that God calls us to, the life that is full of goodness and love. Of course, there are sins. Personal sins is the death creep in our own lives that separate us and disconnect us. Communal sins in society is the death creep in society that bring injustice and separate us. But it's leading us toward death, separation. Christ came to reverse that. Christ came, and this is the gospel which we can see from this reflection in John. He comes to bring true resurrection life, and that is true Christian hope today. As we stand on the doorway of 2022, we look back with all of our loss, with pain, with the realities of our lives, and yet we are filled, and I hope as we preach this today, the good news that Christ is the resurrection and the life, that he leads us into new beginnings, that he turns around everything that looks like death into life. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is in a different category to the raising of Lazarus. The raising of Lazarus unveils the heart of Jesus, his weeping, his humility, and his anger at death and separation. And we as Christians follow the one who brings us toward life. To be a Christian today, no matter how fragile your faith is, no matter how apathetic your faith might feel today, to be a Christian is simply to say yes to Christ and follow Christ toward life and away from death, toward relationship and away from separation, toward goodness and beauty and love and away from all that would come between us and lead us into separation, into death, into destruction, into decay. Christ is the one who brings us forward as humanity and we follow him there is, of course, a great mystery to this. There's a great mystery to Christ, his humanity and his divinity, his grieving with us and his leading us forward, his overcoming of death. There's a great mystery to all of that. But for us, faith today is simply saying yes to the life that Christ brings. It's saying yes to the way of Christ that leads to life. And it's moving in that direction. My hope 
my prayer for us, for you, for 2022, no matter where we find ourselves, that we continue to simply offer our yes to Christ and follow him into life and away from death, trusting in him. I, I share that with you today and I hope it encourages you. And I speak it into the situations that you may be carrying today, whether that's literal death that you're experiencing and grieving or whether that's loss, disappointment, disillusionment in your own life in some way, the end of a dream, whatever it might be. Know this, that Christ comes to breathe life on all the dead places of your life, of my life. He comes to breathe his life. He comes to breathe resurrection life, new beginnings, hope. I'd love us to discuss this in our groups. Let me just read a little short reflection from Brian Zand on this particular idea that the risen Christ, he says, is not the one who has come back from the dead. The risen Christ is the one that's gone through it and opened the door to the new world beyond it. The trust that that is what we all can experience as we move into a new year.